Hello, welcome to 444's Most Accurate Podcast. My name is John Paulson. Normally, you would hear Anthony Stalter right now, but uh, we're having a difficult time scheduling uh, our first podcast of the 2018 uh, season. So I'm bringing in, uh, I'm tagging out, tagging out Anthony and bringing in uh, TJ Hernandez. TJ is the director, just recently promoted, director of DFS at 444. Thanks for coming on, TJ. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to, uh, I guess, officially kick off the the off season with you. I've, I've kind of been taking a, a little football hiatus myself here, so I'm excited to get back into everything. Well, hopefully we're not too rusty. Um, regular listeners know I have trouble pronouncing names you know, in the <laughs> middle of the season. Uh, so, you know, in, in April, I'm sure I'm going to have some, some problems as well. But uh, just to uh, touch on the music uh, coming in, it's, uh, I picked a song by Ray uh, Laman. How do you pronounce that? La Montaigne. That's, we're kicking it off strong. La Montaigne, I believe, is how you say it. All but. right. La Montaigne. Uh, I actually, I think I introduced TJ to this mm-hmm. uh, artist. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but uh, definitely one of our favorites, both of ours. So it's uh, Drive-In Movies. It's the 10th track off of his 2014 album, Supernova. He's got a wide, uh, deep catalog going all the way back to uh, 2004. So uh, those are some of the greatest uh uh, bands defined as you discover somebody that's got six or seven albums out and you have all that, uh, all that stuff to dig into. So that's the, that's the music. Uh, this is going to serve as our free agency pod. I wanted to do it a week or two earlier, but, uh, like I said, scheduling was a problem. Um, but we were, we're going to touch on pretty much all the, the big and some of the mediocre, uh, middling and some of the small free agency signings. Uh, but let's kick off with the big news from this last week, which was that Des Bryant has been cut by the Cowboys. Um, I, Kind of saw this coming in terms of his salary. I think it was going to be 16 million plus heading into, as far as a cap hit heading into 2018. So uh, they didn't really ask him to take a pay cut. They just basically cut him. And uh, he's now a free agent. Uh, TJ, do you have a strong feeling on where his best landing spot would be? Yeah, I don't know uh, necessarily best landing st- spot, but maybe uh, some of the most likely ones. I think the the spot that always comes to mind when uh, we're thinking about retreads or some veteran players that are looking for a resurrection is the Patriots just because we've seen them bring in uh, the receivers, Randy Moss, the most obvious one in the past, and and uh, they're always willing to take a gamble on guys like this. And and I think it does make sense, especially with uh, rumblings of Rob, Rob Gronkowski, uh, not sure if he even wants to play anymore. So that would obviously really cut into uh, their weapons as far as a red zone threat and and that is where Dez has been really dominant one of the best in in his era really uh another one because we heard Dez immediately say uh I think the quote was I'll see you twice a year he wants to stay in the division it sounds like uh Redskins as far as cap room and and the need for a red zone threat Jordan Regis uh, has never really been able to stay healthy I think that makes sense a little bit 49ers, it would be nice to see uh, Jimmy Garoppolo get a more reliable red zone threat. They really struggled uh, last year in that area. And then Houston is an interesting one. I I do like the idea of Dez going somewhere, not being a number two, but also not being a number one, kind of a 1A. And Houston would uh, give Dez that opportunity, obviously, uh, across from DeAndre Hopkins. And then they're a team that doesn't have a first or second round pick. So I don't know what the asking price for Dez is going to be, but uh, they're not going to be giving out first or second round rookie money. Uh, so that cap money could go to Dez. He hasn't really been playing. I tweeted this out. He hasn't been playing at elite, elite level since 2014 when he caught 88 passes for 1,320 yards, 16 touchdowns. 
Uh, the year before, 2013, he had 93 catches for 12, uh, 1,233 yards and 13 touchdowns. He had three straight years, actually, of 12-plus touchdowns. And, uh, you know, over the last uh, three years, uh, 401 yards in, in 2015 and nine games, uh, 796 yards in 2016 and um, 13 games. And then last year, 838 yards in 16 games, uh, 14 touchdowns the last two years. So he is still... I don't know how, you know, I was looking at his red zone inside the 10 numbers and they weren't particularly great over the last two years from, mm-hmm. from Dak Prescott. Um, but, you know, it seems like, you know, you can't, you shouldn't ask him to be your number one receiver at this point, but he could be a pretty uh, potent uh, threat as a uh, wide receiver two type. And um, if he's not drawing double coverage anymore, that would really, I think, help his efficiency numbers. I think he's still got something in the tank. It's just interesting to see. Uh, some of the takes out there blaming him, some of the takes out there blaming it all on Dak, which I mean, I don't really buy that. I think there has been a slowdown and a drop in his efficiency, but he's never been a big high percentage catch guy. He's right. 43%, 52%, 52% the last three years. So it will be interesting to see where he goes. And I agree that um, with uh, the Patriots losing or trading away Brandon Cooks and kind of Rob Gronkowski being up in the air, that that is an intriguing spot because there's so many touchdowns available in that. Patriots offense. So let's jump into some of the free agency winners and losers. I wrote an article about this, but I am going to go through uh, not just the winners and losers, but pretty much all the the big uh, free agency signings. But I want to start with some of the big one, uh, big winners, or one big winner, and then maybe a big loser. Uh, Jarek McKinnon to the 49ers. I really like the signing uh, for Kyle Shanahan and, and the 49ers, and especially for McKinnon's value. They they gave him big money there, and it looks like he's going to be the RB one. Uh, Matt Breda uh, is the backup there. They could form sort of a, a Devonta Freeman, Tevin Coleman uh, combination. But I think McKinnon, uh, especially in PPR formats, because he's such a good pass catcher, is really going to thrive there in, in San Francisco. Are you buying this or are we are we souring on it? No, there? I, I definitely think that of of all the uh, the winners this offseason, I think that's the one guy that we're going to be looking to that's really going to be shooting up draft boards. The opportunities there, uh, the Niners have almost 64% of their backfield touches vacated, obviously, with uh, Carlos Hyde gone. That's the third most in the league. So there's going to be uh, there's going to be room for McKinnon to uh, get up to that 300 touch number that we like to see our, our RB1, which uh, I think he's going to be in the mix being drafted as an RB1 this year. Uh, we like to see him approach that 300 touch number. The obvious concern is he's never had the opportunity to do that. And we don't know if he, he can hold up to that 300 touches. Uh, he's never had more than 202 touches in a season. He had 201 last year, uh, but we know Shani can, can make uh, multiple running backs viable. We've seen it uh, multiple times, most notably in Atlanta uh, with Devonte Freeman and Tevin Coleman. I do think Matt Breda will have a role, but uh, I don't think that McKinnon necessarily needs to uh, see 75% of the workload to be an RB one this year. Yeah, and Hyde was very effective in that role. Uh, he had quite a few touches and caught a ton of passes uh, for Shanahan. And, um, you know, looking at McKinnon, just a ridiculous athlete, you, you go over to player profiler and his, his closest comparison is LaDainian Tomlinson. Um, first two seasons averaged 4.9 uh, yards per carry. Uh, since then, it's dipped to 3.59 yards per carry, which is a little bit concerning. But he graded well at uh, in the running game at Pro Football Focus in 2017. So that's a good sign. And I think the most important thing here is that this is uh, Kyle Shanahan's handpicked guy. Uh, he they went out, they signed him to a big contract. Uh, Matt Matt Mayoko of NBC believes that uh, he's going to fill that Freeman role, and uh, we're looking at you know Freeman getting 15 uh, rushing attempts, 4.3 receptions 
per game in 24 games from 2015 to 2016 with a healthy Tevin Coleman also in the lineup under Kyle Shanahan. So, you know, 19.3 touches per game uh, for Devonta Freeman. Maybe he, maybe McKinnon doesn't see that, but if he sees anything close to that, he's going to push uh, fantasy RB1 numbers. Um, so really big signing. I, it reminds me of the Michael Turner signing, uh, Lamont Jordan going to the Raiders a few years back, Chester Taylor going to the Vikings, Darren Sproles of the Saints. These, these backups that are quality backups, we know they're good. You know, finally getting their chance to to play uh, a big role with the new team. It's a, it's exciting for McKinnon and his fans. But on the flip side, Carlos Hyde, they basically let him go. Uh, they they signed McKinnon for more money. Hyde went to the Browns. I think this is a big hit to his stock due to uh, the presence of Duke Johnson, uh, his role in the passing game. Isaiah Crowell's obviously gone, uh, so Hyde will have a role there. But you're going to the to the Browns, who tend to tr- struggle to score. And, you know, that that Duke Johnson role in the passing game isn't going to be Hyde. So what do you think of Hyde in, in Cleveland? Yeah, I, I think that kind of just this this whole offense is going to be uh, one of those where there are a lot of attractive names, but it's going to be really uh, frustrating from week to week. And that obviously starts with this backfield. Uh, we have Hugh Jackson, who has always slanted towards uh, having a, a committee approach at running back when guy that totes the rock and one guy that catches it and Carlos Hyde uh he was top five at his position in targets last year but I think that that Duke Johnson is just a a more effective pass catcher and if we consider what this team is going to look like even with their improved weapons uh really good chance they're going to be starting a rookie quarterback probably going to be towards uh the bottom of standings again and what that is going to mean is negative game script and and just more passing situations uh uh, Duke Johnson he only had five more uh, targets than uh Carlos Hyde last year, but 15 more catches and almost 350 more yards. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, Duke Johnson is closer to a, a receiver. We we saw the Browns uh, line up Duke Johnson in the slot, especially a lot towards the second half of the season last year. So I think when they do get in those passing situations, uh, Duke Johnson's going to be the running back that gets the nod. I mean, you can also spin that the other way and say that that both running backs can coexist beyond the field at the same time because Duke can move around a lot, but it's just going to cause a lot of noise in this offense. And obviously that trickles down to uh, Jarvis Landry as well, who's a, the slot short yardage receiver. Um, so a, a lot of noise here in this offense, I think. And just talking about these guys, uh, these two guys in terms of their ADP, I'm looking at uh, MFL 10, which is now Fanball uh, ADP. Uh, over the last week or so, McKinnon is about the 18th running back, 18th, 19th running back off the board. Hyde is going 20th. And uh, I, I think that McKinnon, maybe you could touch on this too, but I think McKinnon really looks to me like a middle of the third round type pick because there's enough risk there with the unknown of him, you know, taking over the uh, the bell cow role or being the primary back there, whether or not that's really going to be more of a timeshare or if he's going to be the guy. Uh, but then there's also the upside that maybe pushes him into that third round. Whereas I think Hyde probably ends up in the fourth round, but I think that's probably drafting him too early. Yeah, I I think I agree with you there about middle of the third is where where I do like Jarek McKinnon. Uh, like I said, Carlos Hyde just that that competition with Duke Johnson. I think it's much wiser to to wait a little bit longer. I've been doing quite a few drafts on uh, on draft uh, best ball platform, and there's times where you can Duke Johnson will fall to the seventh or eighth round. So to get that yeah. arbitrage on a player that uh, I, I think the the touchdown upside is probably similar to Carlos Hyde, and I don't know that the usage is going to be that much different. Whereas McKinnon. And you don't have that 
clear arbitrage play. I don't think anyone thinks uh, Matt Braid is going to be as uh, big of a player in his offense as Duke Johnson is. So when when I have that opportunity to get the cheaper running back and what should be somewhat of a share, I, I tend to slant that way. Yeah, Breda should be very cheap, and actually, mm-hmm. as a as a you know injury play, that's not a bad one either. Uh, let's talk about a quarterback. Uh, the big signing, uh, Kirk Cousins to the Vikings. Uh, I you know I like him there. He's it's a great landing spot for him with Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph. They've got a good running game with Dalvin Cook. Uh, great defense uh, as well. It's really a ready made spot for him. Uh, he's been going uh, QB nine off the board. I think that's. Uh, about right. Uh, I would probably take him a couple spots earlier, uh, maybe three, two to three spots earlier, but uh, it makes sense why he's going nine. The changing of teams is uh, sometimes alarming for people. I don't think it's as big a deal for a quarterback as it is for, say, a wide receiver because he's quarterbacks are able to drive their own fantasy value and he's going to be pulling the trigger on this offense and uh, it's going to be a good one. So uh, I like him, at, you know, in those seventh, eighth rounds, uh, Matthew Stafford, especially a couple rounds later. Uh, what do you what do you think about Cousins, uh, the landing spot, and maybe his uh, draft value heading into twenty eighteen? I'm actually pleasant pleasantly surprised at where he's been going. I thought that uh, when it was announced he was going to the Vikings, people loved that receiving core so much. I thought he would be overdrafted. He's actually still relatively affordable, and I think it's a a really fair value when we're looking at our quarterbacks. We're looking for efficiency. Uh, he's fifth in adjusted yards per attempt over the last three years behind Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, and Russell Wilson. So uh, even if people might have concerns of maybe uh, fewer attempts because this is going to be a really good team and a positive game script, uh, he's just a really efficient quarterback now with really great weapons. So I think uh, kind of that QB 5-7 to seven range is where I would expect him to land at the end of the season. And if you could get him at QB 9, QB 10, that's obviously a, a pretty good value. The one spot that Kirk Cousins has left a little bit to be desired is in the red zone, just a 22% career red zone touchdown rate. But really outside of Jordan Reed, he really hasn't had much to work with in the red zone. Uh, we think about Deshaun Jackson, Jameson Crowder, none of those guys are necessarily uh, great red zone targets. Now he has three wide receivers or pass catchers who are are really good in that respect in uh, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, and Kyle Rudolph. So I think we definitely see those red zone numbers go up this year. Yeah, over at MFL 10, uh, the data I'm looking at, uh, he's going QB8, Stafford going QB10. Those are those are. T- Two that really jump out to me as very nice values. Uh, Garoppolo going nine, uh, Roethlisberger 11, Goff 12. So that's kind of the, I don't know, second or third tier of, of quarterbacks right now. I think once you get outside the top three or four, it's really pretty dicey starting with, uh, I guess, Carson Wentz is going fifth and he's got an ACL. So we, we don't even know if he's coming going to be back week one, although they, they're saying he will. Wentz, Newton, Breeze, Cousins, Garoppolo, Stafford, Roethlisberger. I mean, this is... Uh, pretty tight here in terms of uh, maybe how you would rank these players at this point. Uh, let's talk about, you know, with 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 a free agent signing like uh, Allen Robinson in, in this case that we're going to talk about him in a little bit in terms of him going to Chicago. But with him leaving Jacksonville, that opens up uh, a big role. And we got to sort of see how the, the Jacksonville Jaguars view their receiving core last year because Allen Robinson was out for most of the year. Um, they re-signed Marcus, uh, Marquise Lee. Uh, they also signed Dante Moncrief. How do you th- think this, uh, you know, sort of deep, young, talented 
receiving core is going to shake out this year. Yeah, you mentioned uh, at the top of the episode that you you wrote free agents, winners, and losers, and you had uh, Marquise Lee in, in the winner half of the column. I I think probably you're a, a little bit more bullish on Lee than I am. I just I have concerns about uh, volume in this offense. I think Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook came on really strong last year, and I think that they are going to push Marquise Lee for targets. And then Jacksonville went ahead and added Austin's Ferry and Jenkins. Uh, they've been trying to add a tight end to the mix in this offense haven't been able to obviously didn't work out uh, with Julius Thomas like they were hoping to but uh, I think that targets will probably be spread a little more thin than uh, than people might hope Marquise Lee just getting that uh, what looks like wide receiver one money but uh, when when you have Cole and Westbrook who I think are very very talented receivers uh, I, I think it might be a little difficult especially we still have to consider they're they're catching passes from Blake Bortles this was a really good football team last year but Bortles is still uh, a below average quarterback 31st in adjusted yards per attempt over the last three years he ranked 19th in that category last year and he still only threw 21 passing touchdowns last year so it's hard to project any of these guys for uh, really high touchdown numbers so I'm, I'm a little more concerned I think than some people might be yeah, I think it's uh, he's he's more of a play in PPR formats. I don't expect him to catch a ton of touchdowns, but I think he's going to have a pretty good volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at 29 games over the last two seasons, he's averaged 4.1 receptions, 54 yards, 0.21 touchdowns, so not a big touchdown guy. Uh, but those are wide receiver three type numbers in fantasy. He's being drafted as a wide receiver four. I think that, you know, as a wide receiver four, I think he's a very safe pick if he's being sure. drafted in the 40s or whatever. Uh, you look at the 22 games where he saw at least five targets, which is, you know, you're raising the – you know, you're filtering out some games where he wasn't targeted much. I think you can assume, and I don't know if you can assume he's going to get five targets in every game, but let's say he does. He averaged 5.1 receptions for 65 yards, 0.27 touchdowns. Uh, that's the number 16 PPR finish in 2017 in terms of uh, 16 game pace. So, uh, you, Alan Robinson saw at least five targets in 29 of his last 33 games, which is why I use that uh, as a benchmark. But I agree. Uh, D.D. Westbrook had a huge preseason, came on a little bit last year. Keelan Cole had a few big games. And then they brought in Moncrief, uh, which I, I'm not too worried about Moncrief uh, stealing Lee's uh, volume, but um, certainly something to, to monitor as we head into the head into the offseason. So let's talk about Alan Robinson in Chicago. I also want to talk about – uh, Trey Burton in this section. Uh, I really like Burton as a, a move tight end now in Chicago, playing for Matt Nagy, uh, has experience with uh, Travis Kelsey in Ka- Kansas City, coming you know with a decent quarterback here, Mitch Trubisky, got some upside there. Uh, I think Burton is going to step into uh, a, a lot, lot larger role, uh, obviously, than he had in, in Philly. Uh, he should see plenty of targets there, maybe to turn into a low-end tight end one. Um, he's going, still going pretty late in the, in the draft, but I think the hype machine's gonna, uh, get, get rolling a little bit. And then, you know, Alan Robinson, uh, with, uh, Cameron Meredith out of the way, uh, due to injury, just, a, just a dearth of receivers there, uh, last year. It was really a ragtag bunch. Uh, what do you, what do you think of this passing offense now that uh, they have Burton and, uh, Alan Robinson? Yeah, if if you're playing early best ball and there's one offense that I'm, I'm trying to buy right now, it's, it's this offense. I think, They'll probably be uh, one of the more 
popular teams to to start going up draft boards once people start uh, looking at at fantasy closer throughout the summer and once more analysts start uh, doing draft podcasts I think they're going to be a, a really popular team to to uh, to pick Leighton I, I I agree I mean if there's one team that is at least trying to emulate what the Rams did last year around a young quarterback it's the Bears they're they're bringing in a, a new play caller they're really uh, ramped up this receiving core if there's there's one spot that they really struggled last year. It was uh, throwing in the red zone, and obviously Allen Robinson really uh, helps there. He's been one of the most efficient red zone receivers since coming to the league, and bringing in Matt Nagy to kind of oversee all of these new players, I, I think is uh, is very beneficial for for this team. Uh, Matt Nagy's coming from an offense that had the fifth highest pass rate in neutral game script last year, taking over a Chicago team that uh, was actually highest in neutral rush rate last year and that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to come over and and make them a passing team but if we if we kind of look at the writing on the wall that's where they're spending their money they're trying to put these weapons around Trubisky and we just saw in a short time period last year when Matt Nagy did uh, take over play calling duties for Chiefs he he really did a good job of utilizing his best players in best situations I think the biggest evidence of that is them going back to Kareem Hunt in the red zone after they had got away from him a little bit so I, I really like uh, Matt Nagy overseeing this offense, and I think Trubisky can be a, he, I th- especially if you're playing best ball, really great quarterback two or even quarterback three that has a, a lot of upside. Yeah, this is sort of reminiscent of the McVay hire. Uh, you know, in we were trusting that uh, Nagy knows what he's doing, and and sometimes that pans out, sometimes it doesn't, but uh, this certainly is pointing in the right direction after pointing in the wrong direction for so many years uh, there in Chicago. One of the more uh, surprising signings, I would say, or moves in general was the Packers uh, cutting Jordy Nelson and then signing Jimmy Graham uh, to a, a three-year deal. Uh, I don't think it actually lasts three years. I think they can get out after one year. But still, they, they basically took the money that they were paying Jordy, and now they're going to pay Jimmy Graham. Uh, Jimmy caught 57 passes for 520 yards last year and 10 touchdowns. I mean, the touchdowns are nice. But that's a career low, 9.1 yards per reception. Uh, looking at this, I was like, oh, was Jimmy Graham lost a step. Yeah, probably he has. He's you know entering his age 32 season. I was looking at uh, the player speed data at airyards.com. Uh, Josh Hermsmeyer is actually going to join 444 and do some work for us as well. I just want to plug his site. But he's actually got some NFL.com uh, next-gen stats data there. And uh, Jimmy's speed uh, is not too bad when you compare it to some of the other younger tight ends that you're comparing him to, uh, you know, he, he can lose a step and still be pretty effective. What do you think of Jimmy Graham uh, for the Packers? I think probably we should expect something similar to, to what we saw last year from Graham. I don't think he's going to be a ridiculously high volume guy in this offense, but if you're catching passes from uh, Aaron Rodgers, assuming a full season, this is a team that's going to be near the top of the league in uh, total passing touchdowns and tight end is, is so touchdown dependent outside of, of two or three guys at the top that if you can find that touchdown equity, you're going to be in the mix week in and week out. And we know that Jimmy Graham is a guy that, that could find uh, the end zone almost every week. So uh, based on that alone, if he's if I'm paying a low end tight end one price for him, I think I'm I'm going to be pretty comfortable doing that. Uh, he I don't think he's going to he's going to. Uh, Tear it, tear it up in terms of yardage or, or catches, uh, but there's going to be just enough there in the red zone to let him approach 10 touchdowns, I think. Yeah, 
I, you know, I was looking at the the signing and uh, what Jordy Nelson did. That 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 absence there creates some opportunity for Graham. Uh, Nelson had accounted for 33 touchdowns over the last three years, 13 of which came inside the opponent's 10 yard line, which we call the crimson zone. Uh, TJ and I are the only ones that call it that, but, uh, and then you're looking at, you know, I, I saw some takes that, that, that the, you know, this is where green Bay is where tight ends go to die. Um, you know, we had Jared cook come in was kind of spotty and Martellus Bennett was terrible last year injured. Uh, but when healthy, Jared Cook did have his moments uh, in 2016. He caught 31 passes for 407 yards and two touchdowns in his last six games with the Packers. He obviously had a big uh, game, a big play, uh, especially against Dallas in the playoffs. Uh, that pace that I that I mentioned there, the 31 for 407 and two, works out for, to 83 catches for 1,085 yards and 5.3 touchdowns. Over six, 16 games, I don't think that you're going to see Jimmy Graham with those types of reception or yardage numbers but his touchdowns should be higher he's definitely a threat for 10 touchdowns um you know maybe 60 for 600 or 60 for 700 and 10 touchdowns i think that would be a pretty successful season i, I think rogers is definitely going to use him uh, in the red zone and aaron Rodgers does like to throw to his tight end when his tight end is good he just hasn't had uh, a tight end in his prime since uh, jermichael finley um a few years ago so uh, I think this is a great landing spot for Jimmy Graham, and it is one of uh, definitely one of my winners. Um, speaking of Jordy, uh, actually, let's stick with let's stick with uh, the Packers for a second. Just talk about Devontae Adams and, and Randall Cobb. Do you, with Jordy gone, do you see this as a big upgrade for both of them, or with Jimmy Graham in the fold, it's pretty much uh, kind of a wash for those two? No, I, I think at this point I'm I'm drafting uh, Devonte as a wide receiver one wherever I could get him. If if you're getting him at uh, at the turn of, of the second or third round, uh, I'm I'm really happy with that. I'm I'm drafting him after the the top six or seven, uh, which you might consider elite wide receivers available. I think Devonte is the the first guy I'm grabbing off the board. Uh, Cobb is I, I think probably obviously to most people just kind of wait and see at this point uh you're, you're gonna if you could get him very late in drafts you know you're gonna have upside in this offense but uh, uh he's been so spotty over the last couple of years that uh we we really can't rely on him as as a single digit round pick if if that's where people end up reaching for him if if anybody gets a little too anxious to uh acquire shares of this passing offense yeah, some of our data from draft.com, the ADP data has him at, at wide receiver 50, but that includes data, uh, drafts that were prior to free agency and prior to this Georgie Nelson uh, moving over, uh, looking at the MFL st- 10, uh, data. He's been going, um, yeah, as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five, um, right around Devontae Parker, Sterling Shepard, Marquise Lee, Kenny Stills, Kelvin Benjamin, those types of players. So uh, definitely going later in drafts than, than Devontae Adams, who's a top 10 or 11 player off the board. Uh, let's talk about Jordy in Oakland. I am not a fan of this move for him. I don't blame him for not wanting to take the league veteran minimum or whatever they offered him in terms of a pay cut in Green Bay. I think what gave Jordy his value, especially at this point in his career, was his mind meld with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they were always in sync. Now he's going to a new offense with John Gruden as the as the, uh, the head coach and Derek Carr as your uh, quarterback, and he's not going to have that same sort of uh, uh, mind meld with, with, with Carr. So I think you're looking at a downgrade, a big-time downgrade for him. Um, it's interesting to see his – his ADP sort of bounce around. Uh, but I think he's more of a low end wide receiver two, wide receiver three type uh, in this offense with Amari Cooper on the other side and, and just 
not having um, the same, you know, high octane offense, not playing in the same sort of offense as he did in Green Bay and not having the rapport with the quarterback. Any, any take on Jordy here? I think uh, this is more of a, a take as this offense as a whole than than Jordy uh, in particular. Jordy's going to uh, he's going to be catching passes from uh, a quarterback in Derek Carr that uh, regressed, probably not surprising to to a lot last year. I think he played a little bit over his head in 2016, but uh, continued uh, his inefficiency uh, last year, 21st in uh, adjusted yards per attempt, uh, below average in the red zone, and a quarterback that just kind of hasn't uh, been able to to get his receivers those big touchdown numbers outside of Crabtree a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't think this is going to be a, a particularly good offense or an offense that is going to offer a lot of touchdown equity which Jordy has really relied on he's just been one of the the most efficient red zone guys but like you said I think that has a lot to do uh, obviously has a lot to do with being attached to Aaron Rodgers uh, in my early best ball leagues Jordy's a guy that uh, I've, I've just kind of had to scroll by because he uh, rarely is so cheap that that he feels like a fantastic value I think there's a lot more risk than reward uh, with this pick when you could get guys like uh, Robert Woods, Devin Funchess, uh, Sammy Watkins, the guy that just left Michael Crabtree around him. Uh, it's really hard for me to take him at that spot. Yeah, he's going in the early uh, sixth round right now. And, uh, you know, I think I'd rather have Pierre Garcon, who's going mm-hmm. he's 83rd off the board. So uh, let's talk about uh, Crabtree and John Brown. They both signed with uh, with the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens were in desperate need of, of pass catchers. They had Jeremy Macklin and Mike Wallace last year, and they're both gone. Uh, so what do we think about Crabtree? Uh, I mean, he had a bad year last year. It was disappointing, I, I think. Um, you know, in previous years, he was always one of my favorite value picks because he just kept putting up uh, receptions and was getting more uh, red zone targets than, than was Amari Cooper. And then John Brown, I, you know, two years into his – uh, career, he was probably one of the best uh, up and coming you know receivers in the league, and then he's got the sickle cell situation that has hampered him and, and caused him to miss more games than he would want uh, to, to be you know gimpy when he is playing, but uh, definitely a player with upside if he's healthy. Yeah, if there's one thing that you could say for either of these receivers is is there's going to be opportunity, and that's what we're looking for with our receivers' targets. I know, uh, John, you're not particularly fond of wide receivers switching teams uh, unless they're getting a, a upgrade and roll, but I, I think you can argue that Michael Crabtree's going from a, a 1B or even number 2 to the clear number 1, and uh, even across from Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree's uh, a player that has has commanded targets and at times uh, double digit targets per game for stretches. So with the the Baltimore Ravens uh, vacating sixty percent of their targets, the highest in the league, uh, he's going to have a chance to uh, to have a, a decent number of targets. I think uh, projecting seven eight targets per game for Crabtree is is very fair, and he's going to an offense that. Uh, really struggled in the red zone. They completed less than 18% of their red zone passes uh, into scores last year, which was well below average. We've seen Crabtree uh, excel in that role. Uh, John Brown, kind of uh, a less than ideal fit in this offense. Obviously with him, it comes down to can he stay on the field, but um, Baltimore is a team that's really struggled to to stretch the field. Joe Flacco's traditionally been one of the worst deep ball passers in the game, and that's where John Brown is going to get a lot of his fantasy value from. So can he stay healthy? Are they going to be able to throw deep, deep effectively? Um, I think you're really just looking at a flyer with John Brown here. 
Yeah, he's going in the seventeenth round, <laughs> uh, which is that's that's late. That's definitely late. Crabtree going right, you know, right after Jordy Nelson in the early sixth. He's, I think that's still a good pick there. I mean, I'm I'm looking at you know this is PPR formats, and I'd rather have Crabtree. I think than Sammy Watkins going to a very crowded uh, passing game in Kansas City. Cooper Cup, I think, is a pretty good pick at that point. Corey Davis, kind of unproven, has upside. Marquise Goodwin, you know, I, I think I'd like to have. Crabtree there. I think, does, I think you're right about him. Uh, not Maybe not going to a great situation in terms of quality of quarterback or potency of offense, but the, the volume should be there for him. And uh, that's key for him. Yeah. And if, if you're looking for, for narrative or storylines, I mean, Baltimore basically uh, borderline unethically went out of their way to get Michael Crabtree, sign Ryan Grant. And then all of a sudden uh, when Crabtree's cut, Grant doesn't pass the physical. So they obviously wanted him and, and make him their guy. So that, that should give you uh, some more confidence in them looking his way. Well, let's talk about an interesting uh, running back situation. One of the guys I was watching closely was Dion Lewis. He had such a good finish with the Patriots last year, and I wanted to see where he landed. Uh, he was asking for too much money, apparently, from the Patriots, and so he ended up siding with the uh, uh, with the uh, with the Tennessee Titans. So let's talk about two different th- two, uh, two different things here. Let's talk about uh, first the the Patriots backfield. Rex Burkhead was one of my winners. Uh, there's still some talent there behind him. Mike Gillisley, who fumbled his way out of a starting job uh, last year. Jeremy Hill, obviously James White is the pass catcher, but when Burkhead has been healthy, they've used him pretty consistently. And he had a nice little run at the end of the year that sort of indicated that he was maybe taking that RB one job and, and, you know, was going to maybe play 60% of the snaps. What do you think about Burkhead uh, heading into 2018 drafts? Yeah, I think he's, he's a player that can, pretty much do what Deion Lewis did down the stretch for the Patriots uh, over the course of the season. You, you mentioned Rex Burkhead had, had a little bit of a stretch there where it looked like he was going to take over as the RB1. Uh, I, I think it it was a, a fumble uh, in the red zone that actually allowed Lewis by Burkhead that kind of allowed Lewis to have that stretch. So if it, if it weren't for a, a Burkhead fumble, ironically, you talked about Gillisley, uh, maybe Deion Lewis never happens. It ends up looking like a blessing in disguise. Deion Lewis getting a big contract with the Titans uh, of the running backs that I think are most likely to uh, cut into Burkhead time. I think it's James White, just because we've seen him be very effective in the passing game. And we know we, that the Patriots do like to use their running backs in the passing game as much as possible. Uh, obviously Jeremy Hill is not that guy. And Gillisley is a player that they weren't even having suit up for a big portion of the season last year. So I think those are going to be ancillary pieces that are frustratingly going to vulture a touchdown or two. Mm-hmm. But uh, with that PPR value, Burkhead and, and White, I think are going to be players that we can pretty comfortably roster. Burkhead going uh, at the end of the seventh round since uh, April 6th at MFL 10. So that's a, I was, I just looked that up and that's pretty surprising to me that uh, he's going that late, but I guess there is some fatigue in terms of trying to guess what the Patriots are going to do because you go on, you head into last season and you're thinking uh, it's Gillisley, uh, you know, all the reports out of camp were that he was running, running with the ones and was looking like he was going to be the, the top back there. And then it turns out that the fourth running back that was drafted, Deion Lewis, ends up having the biggest year. Uh, obviously, injuries and fumbles played into that. But uh, right now, I would say that uh, Burkhead definitely has the, the inside track in, in my estimation. Uh, let's talk about Deion Lewis's new uh, team, the, the Tennessee Titans, uh, Derek Henry. Uh, his value, I think, took a took a big hit with Deion Lewis coming in. Henry's still going uh, fairly early in drafts, uh, which is surprising to me. He's going with pick thirty 
uh, I would not take him before the fifth, sixth round uh, with Deion Lewis. And I might even uh, not draft, just just have Derrick Henry on my do not draft list at all because I think Lewis is good enough to really eat into to Henry's workload and he's more versatile player. So Henry doesn't, maybe not in on passing down. So now he's just limited to a first, second down role. And if he's not, if he's not going that particular game, you might end up with 40 yards and no touchdowns. So uh, what, what's your take on Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry in Tennessee? I think I, I'm pretty much reiterate exactly your thoughts. Unless Derrick Henry's following um, eighth, ninth round, I think he's pretty much untouchable. Uh, not only do the Titans bring in Deion Lewis, who is a more versatile back, but uh, they have a, a complete overhaul in philosophy and coaching staff, I think, with the, the departure of Mike Malarkey and then them bring a, bringing in offensive coordinator uh, Matt LaFleur from the Rams. That that suggests even more that the Titans are looking to get their running backs involved in the passing game, which they haven't been able to do in recent years. I don't know if they've even wanted to in recent years. And obviously that switch in philosophy is one that's going to favor uh, Lewis much more than it does Henry, who, as you mentioned, is maybe as good of a, a runner as Henry already. Henry going 30th, Deion Lewis going 50th since uh, April 6th, which I just don't know how this is sustainable. This is not a, a, a rushing offense that can support two running backs at that sort of ADP equity. Uh, let's talk about uh, Sammy Watkins going to Kansas City. Touched on him briefly um, earlier, but this was a, a kind of a surprising signing, I think. Uh, but you're, you're looking at that Kansas City offense now with Patrick Mahomes now taking uh, over the, the quarterback position. Uh, Travis Kelsey at tight end, uh, Tyreek Hill, one of the most dynamic receivers in the game. Uh, you know, opposite of Watkins. Uh, this is really shaping up to be a very exciting passing offense. I think Patrick Mahomes is a excellent sleeper uh, if you're willing to go out, uh, you know, out on a limb and, and and draft somebody that you really haven't seen play too much. Um, but I don't particularly like Watkins in terms of his standalone fantasy value. I think he's going to end up being the third um, third most targeted player in this offense, and he hasn't been particularly uh, efficient or you know, on fire in, in a limited role over the last couple of seasons. So, so what do you, what do you make of this and, and how does it affect, uh, affect uh, Terry kill and Travis Kelsey? Yeah, I think uh, Kelsey's role is pretty much locked in uh, as as a dominant tight end in this offense. Uh, I think the Sammy Watkins signing is probably a uh, the classic fantastic real football signing and horrible fantasy signing. Uh, Watkins and Hill are both players that uh, can uh, stretch the field quite effectively, and then we actually saw uh, Sammy Watkins play really well in the red zone last year actually scored well above expectations but that's because Watkins is is able to win in a lot of those short and intermediate routes I looked at all of his his red zone touchdowns last year and I I think uh six of of seven if I remember correctly were uh from within the five yard line on on slants or digs so uh those those are touchdowns that uh Tyreek Hill he's not going to score that way he's looking to stretch the field and like I said Watkins can can do that uh not as well but he he is good in that aspect and I was already worried a little bit about Hill going into this year without walk-ins just because um, of the volume he finished as uh, just the fourth wide receiver one with 105 or fewer targets uh, over the last 15 years just really hard to sustain those wide receiver one numbers uh, without uh, that target volume and and with walk-ins I, I find it hard to believe that Tyreek Hill can improve much on his target volume. He is going to uh, have those big plays in big games, but I think probably Tyreek Hill ends up being uh, one of the players that 
uh, people are drafting as a wide receiver one that ends up being one of the most more frustrating players uh, in early rounds this year. Yeah, you're right about Watkins. He was efficient. Uh, 70 targets, eight touchdowns, 39 catches, 593 yards. I uh, just don't know what sort of increase he's going to see in terms of his targets heading into a, a new situation with the with the Chiefs. I, you know, is he going to jump 10 targets, 20 targets, 30 targets? Is he going to get, get to 100? I don't know. It's going to be tough for him with Kelsey and, and Hill there uh, eating up uh, market share. Uh, a quick one. Let's just talk a touch on the Indianapolis tight ends. I know you're a big Jack Doyle fan. Uh, you wrote, I, mm-hmm. I believe, I believe an article called "Can Jack Doyle Rule the World or Rule the Fantasy <laughs> World" or something. I don't know if it was last season or the year before, but Doyle ended up putting up really good numbers. Uh, you know, without Andrew Luck under center, now that Luck's going to be back, we think uh, Doyle was really you know shaping up to be a, a, a nice value pick or uh, just a nice solid tight end one and especially PPR formats because he catches so many passes, but uh, Ebron to the Colts, uh, you know, they're going kind of going back to their two tight end uh, roots. I don't know. They had two there for a while there with uh, Kobe Fleener and Dwayne Allen. And uh, it seems like they might be trying to get back to that. They gave Ebron a pretty healthy contract. What do you make of the signing? Yeah, the only thing I wrote down for for this part of the podcast was Fleener Allen 2.0. Uh, we've yeah. we, we've seen this before with the Colts since Andrew Luck uh, took over as the quarterback in Indianapolis. It's a team that has loved to run two tight end sets, and Andrew Luck uh, loves to throw to the tight end, especially in the red zone. He, uh, if if you look at him uh, compared to all other teams, he ranks third uh, since coming into the league in tight end red zone target share. So he's yeah, he's going to look to these guys, but I think it, it's going to be uh, it's kind of similar thing we've seen uh, with this two tight, tight end sets from the Colts before. It's just going to be uh, a, a lot of back and forth. Very hard to predict uh, who is going to be the the tight end to own in a given week. Probably uh, they're going to be two players that you don't want to draft and hope to land for streaming person purposes especially come uh the bye weeks but i I just don't see a situation where either of these players are sustainable enough to keep on a roster over 16 weeks so i'm just looking at adp uh because it's fun to look at uh jack doyle 10th tight end off the board since april 6th he's going a few picks ahead of trey burton which one of those two would you take uh in your drafts yeah, I think pretty clearly Trey Burton there. I'm just I'm not looking for a a tight end timeshare. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk about uh, Jarvis Landry. I know this wasn't this is more of a trade than a free agency signing, but uh, what's you know his role with the Browns is going to change a little bit from his role with the with the Dolphins. I mean, he's still going to play in the slot, but I don't know if he's going to see the same sort of volume that he saw. Uh, in in Miami, uh, this is a I, I look at this as a downgrade because he's you know changing teams, dealing with a new quarterback. Although I do like Tyra Taylor in this situation, and they're going to probably draft a rookie quarterback as well. Uh, you have Josh Gordon on the outside with uh, you know Corey Coleman, um, you know eating up some targets. He also big pass catching back in terms of numbers. Uh, Duke Johnson, uh, Carlos Hyde can also catch passes. Uh, do you see his target share you know dropping with Cleveland, and is that knock him out of wide receiver one territory? He's been uh, in PPR formats, a low end wide receiver one last couple seasons. 
Yeah, but I mean, Jarvis Landry uh, had traditionally been one of the most volume-dependent receivers in the league. Last year, he actually was exceptional in, in the red zone. But uh, if you had to guess, I would I would probably guess that that's uh, an anomaly more than something to, to expect. And now he's going to be competing uh, with Josh Gordon, who I think uh, still might be one of the most talented receivers uh, in the game. He did flash uh, last year when he came back. Now he has a, a full offseason to work with. I mentioned Duke. Johnson when we were talking about the running backs he's a he's a player that can line up in the slot can take a lot of that uh short yardage work and I think Landry will probably dominate in that role but Duke is going to cut into that and then if we're talking about uh those interior pass catchers uh David Njoku their second year tight end I think he's gonna uh continue to improve he looked really good down the stretch last year so I it's really hard to envision uh Jarvis Landry commanding more than something like 20 percent of the targets in this offense where he's been someone that's needed 28 29 even 30 percent of the targets to to reach the numbers that he has in the past 166 targets in 2015 131 targets in 2016 161 targets uh last year in route to 112 catches for 987 yards a 8.8 yards per catch for Jarvis Landry doesn't mean he's bad it just means he's volume dependent as uh TJ just mentioned so uh, let's talk about uh, instead of a free agent signing more of a contract extension, Cameron Brait. Like this was kind of surprising to me, but they gave him pretty big money um, to stay there in Tampa. I think he was a restricted free agent. Uh, would you draft him ahead of OJ Howard this year? Uh, I actually like Howard in this situation, and I, and I did some little digging trying to figure out uh, what these tight ends might look like. I actually did a study a couple years back, uh, 4 4 for 4 trying to predict uh, breakout tight ends for second or third year tight ends, and, and what correlated highest with uh, breakout tight ends or, or tight ends uh, finishing as a tight end one um, after after uh, one or two years um, of, of kind of mediocre output was efficiency. And that's uh, yards per target and fantasy points per target. And OJ Howard uh, actually led all tight ends with at least 35 targets in yards per target and uh, second in fantasy points per target with an average depth of target second in the league only to, to Gronk at tight end. And uh, looking at, at Brate's contract, it is a it is a big contract, but only seven million guaranteed at signing. And as terms of average salary, just fifteenth in the league. Tampa Bay now ranks eleventh in money spent at tight end. So uh, overall, the contract is big, but uh, up front, it doesn't look like they have a huge commitment to him. And and I, I just kind of clicked around trying to figure out what does this offense want to do in it. It looks like an offense that wants to stretch the field. They had uh, four players that finished in the top 50 last year in yards per target. They were the only team to do that. And they were just one in four teams with three wide receivers in the top 50 and average depth of target. That's not including OJ Howard. So uh, kind of fitting the mold of what they want to do. Uh, OJ Howard's the tight end that can stretch the field. Uh, they don't have a, a short area pass catcher right now on their roster. Even their their ancillary players like Chris Godwin are, are really good at stretching the field. So I, I think Tampa break. Tampa Bay kind of sees Brait um, as a player that that can be a short yardage pass catcher. Uh, they don't have a running back on their roster right now that had more than 19 targets last year. Uh, so actually, I'm, I'm probably uh, either not drafting either of these tight ends um, and, and hoping I could get OJ, OJ Howard kind of as a, a waiver wire uh, turned 
upside fantasy starter or drafting Howard very late uh, just because I, I think he fits what Tampa Bay wants to do a little bit more. If, you, if you're looking for upside from uh, a tight end that you're not drafting as a tight end one. Yeah, Brate's going uh, pick 129, Howard pick 132. So you're looking at, I guess, 11th, 12th round for those guys. I don't think you're going to be able to get scoop Howard off the waiver wire this year, but it depends on your league, I guess. Uh, I would still lean Brate. Uh, just he's just been good with mm-hmm. with uh, Jameis Winston. Um, last twenty eight games, average forty four yards receiving. And a half a touchdown per game, so yeah, it's tough to. Yeah, Bray was my knee jerk reaction. I just I was really surprised by by uh, what Tampa Bay looks like they're trying to do. Um, I, I I didn't really realize that till these past couple of weeks, and it looks like Howard just kind of fits that mold a little bit. Yeah, he had that giant game. It was against Buffalo. Six catches, ninety eight mm-hmm. yards, two touchdowns, uh, six six targets in that game, sixteen point three yards per catch in that game. Uh, he, you know, that was his first game uh, in the first six or seven games where he played over 70% of the snaps. So I think they're going to run a lot of two, 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 uh, two tight end sets with these two. Um, that was kind of a tongue twister. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about a couple quarterbacks quickly. Uh, Case Keenum to the Broncos. Uh, I like the idea of this signing, you know, maybe drafting. I think they have a fourth or fifth pick in the draft. Maybe they draft mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield or somebody like that as a – as a, you know, a prospect there at the quarterback position, uh, Keenum can get them through a year or two if if they can stay competitive. Uh, Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, getting a little bit older, um, but uh, still pr- two pretty good receivers. Uh, also, Sam Bradford to the Cardinals. Uh, they still have Larry Fitzgerald there. They lost John Brown, maybe some, some turnover there at the receiver position. What do you think of these two in terms of the low end uh, QB two rankings? Who would you take first? And uh, do you like, do you like, do you think any, either one of these guys has a chance to finish, I don't know, top 15? Uh, I think if one of them does have a chance to finish top 15, it's Case Keenum just because of of the offense he's in. He's uh, behind a a better offensive line than Bradford. Uh, Cardinals ranked near the bottom of the league in sacks allowed. And we just, we've, we know with Bradford, uh, he, it's really tough for him to, to stay on the field. I I think he's played a full season just once uh, in the last four or five years. And, and the weapons are concerned. Sam Bradford is, he's going to have that high completion percentage, but that's because he is going to typically, uh, keep the ball inside the numbers so uh yeah larry fitzgerald will sustain uh what he's been able to do i think we've seen him command targets from anyone that's been uh under center and and then david johnson is is going to come back and and should uh give the cardinals a chance to uh lean on the run obviously more than they did last year but uh, i think keenum is going to let the broncos do uh, much of the same at least in terms of what they've been doing in the passing game they've been one of the most concentrated offenses over the past couple of years uh Demerits, thomas and and man uh emmanuel sanders have uh pretty consistently been around the the 50 percent uh combined target share mark over the last few years and and that's near tops in the league every year uh if uh, emmanuel sanders was on pace for 123 targets last year obviously missed four games but uh, i think Demarius thomas and, and emmanuel sanders are still despite uh being right around that age 30 mark are, are players that are both going to see upwards of of 125 to 140 targets and and one of the few offenses that i think can sustain two to- top 24 uh receivers and because of that um i i, I would rather have keenum i think he's obviously in the qb2 ranks but also i think this is an offense that probably will will pass a little bit more than they did last year i think they were uh, a little bit more forced into their 
their game plan because they were hindered by quarterbacks. They ranked seventh in uh, rush rate and neutral game script last year. I think we probably see that go up a little bit with Case Keenum. Demarius Thomas, pick 44. Emmanuel Sanders, pick 81. So there's a yeah. significant, like this, these are two players that, you know, heading into last year, I felt like they were pretty close in terms of value. Uh, Thomas always goes ahead of Sanders, but this is getting to be 37 picks. This is three rounds difference now. I think I'd rather have Sanders uh, later yeah, on. Sanders and, Sanders and Garcon highlighting those those late uh, receivers that aren't sexy, but are going to be really great PPR values, I think. Absolutely. And you're getting a, what should be a big upgrade at quarterback with Case Keenum, who played very well for the Vikings last year. All right. Now I'm going to just, we have a hodgepodge of guys that we got to talk about quickly. So I'm just going to throw out some running back names and you jump on anybody you want to talk about. Uh, Isaiah Crowell to the Jets, possibly splitting time with Bilal Powell, Elijah McGuire, Doug Martin to the, to the uh, Raiders. Is he going to usurp? Uh, Marshawn Lynch, uh, Jonathan Stewart to the Giants. Uh, we've got Wayne Gallman there. Uh, Wayne's Darkwa, I think, is still a free agent, so we don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, Frank Gore to the Dolphins. I think he's just going to be the backup to Kenyon Drake there. LeGarrette Blunt uh, to the Lions and uh, forming a, a really pretty ugly committee with Amir Abdullah and uh, Theo Riddick as a pass catching back. Anybody you want to talk about here? Uh, none of these guys really stand out to me. More more negatives than positives. Isaiah Crowell is a, a running back that's really affected by game script, and, and I think that'll happen uh, in New York. Doug Martin, I don't even know if he's a, a the top three running back talent on his own team, but obviously Gruden <laughs> likes him. Uh, the, uh, Frank Gore is going to be behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league in terms of rush blocking. Like Eric Blunt uh, on a team, uh, Jim Bob Cooter, that loves to throw the ball and get his running backs involved in the pass. Uh, the only one that really has a chance is if the Giants don't go with a running back early, although there are a lot of people thinking that they will go after Saquon Barkley with the second pick, uh, they have the, the fourth most uh, vacated uh, backfield touches 59 percent of their touches from uh, running backs last year are not on the roster so if if they don't draft a running back there might be something there with Stewart, but uh, nothing real exciting here with these guys all right so i'm gonna throw out a a curveball to you uh, frank Gore. you mentioned he's going to be playing behind one of the worst uh, offensive lines in miami uh he the last three years he's averaged 3.7 yards per carry 3.9 yards per carry and 3.7 yards per carry what what does he register in terms of yards per carry in 2018 Oof. Uh, um, 3.6 on, on maybe 100 carries. All right. Uh, let's talk about some receivers. There are some interesting names in here. Paul Richardson uh, to the to the Redskins, Dante Moncrief to the Jaguars, uh, Mike Wallace to the Eagles. I might get some of these wrong. Uh, Terrell Pryor to the Jets. Alan Hearns, uh, we didn't talk about him with the Des Bryant thing, but he's, he's interesting now. Uh, to Dallas, uh, Taylor Gabriel to the Bears, uh, Jordan Matthews signed with the Patriots, and Cameron Meredith uh, signed with the Saints. I think I got all those all those right. Uh, do any of these guys finish in the top thirty six? Uh, I think the obvious one now with Des uh, out of town is Alan Hearns uh, with the Cowboys. He's actually uh, him being Alan Hearns has been uh, one of the better red zone receivers. Uh, his sample size is, is a little bit smaller than some of the guys we've looked at, but uh, his efficiency has been good in the red zone. Obviously Dallas is going to have a, uh, a void there. If the Redskins don't go after Des, you can see it. You can see a situation where Paul Richardson uh, does, um, 
does flash this offense on the outside. Uh, we still don't know what to make much of their receivers outside of Jamison Crowder. Uh, Cameron Meredith is probably the wild card in this New Orleans offense. I think probably he's the best real wide receiver of the bunch. It's just a matter, is he going to uh, be able to get targets? Probably looking at, at fourth on the depth chart at best in terms of target share uh, after Michael Thomas and uh, the two running backs in Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. Yeah, it's a it's it's market share for Meredith. I do like the signing for the Saints, though it makes them that much more dangerous in the uh, in the passing game. And, and just to, to touch on Hearns, uh, you know, at age 24, uh, 2015, he did have sixty four catches for thousand thirty one yards, ten touchdowns that year. Uh, since then, he's kind of struggled with injuries. Eleven games in twenty sixteen, ten games in twenty seventeen, hasn't cracked five hundred yards receiving or uh, more than three touchdowns, but uh, he should get plenty of opportunity. His targets, uh, you know, 76 and 56 over the last two seasons. So just the market share was not there getting pushed out by Allen Robinson, Marquise Lee, D.D. Westbrook, et cetera. So it'll be interesting to see what the, the Cowboys do at the receiver position. Do they draft one early or do they try to roll with this crew that they've got now? Uh, I don't know. But uh, finally, let's, let's talk about tight end. Everybody uh, who listens regularly knows that we're big fans of Austin Safarian Jenkins. I can, I could speak for Anthony and myself. I can't speak for you, TJ. This is uh, this. He's landing in Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville has been trying to find a tight end uh, to stretch the field. They signed Julius Thomas, and that didn't work out. Uh, now they have the very athletic Safarian Jenkins, who had some moments for the Jets last year. Um, if you remember, Mercedes Lewis uh, had seven touchdowns uh, in London in one game. I think it was three. Actually, I think it was three. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they, they would. Yeah, it felt like seven. Uh, certainly for my rankings, it felt like seven. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Severian Jenkins, uh, some upside there with uh, Blake Bortles? Yeah, I, I think it kind of comes down to uh, what we were talking about earlier with, with Marquise Lee and the other wide receivers. Just Are there going to be enough targets to go around? Uh, I didn't touch on this with the other guys, but uh, Jacksonville, they ranked eighth in the league in uh, run rate in uh, neutral game script. And then uh, even more concerning, especially for the tight end position, fourth highest run rate in uh, the red zone. So we, we like to see our, our tight ends have some red zone opportunity, but Jacksonville's a team that's, that's going to slant towards the run, um, especially with Leonard Fournette back there uh, and, and old man Coughlin up upstairs. So uh, probably a, a guy that uh, is going to be a, a spot starter. I'd uh, like to see him like to have seen him land in a spot where he's going to get a little more target volume, but uh but probably a streamer at best for me this year. Yeah, maybe a touchdown guy, maybe a four to five target a game guy. It's hard to count on him. He's maybe a, in the good matchups, as you mentioned, as a streamer. Uh, so that does it for our uh, fantasy, I'm sorry, your fantasy free agency podcast. I appreciate you listening. And TJ, thanks for coming on. I'd like to uh, point to listeners to our website. Uh, TJ has an article up called How to Win Best Ball Leagues, MFL 10 versus Draft. Jennifer Eakins also has a first look at best ball ADP, MFL 10 versus draft. I have my uh, never too early 2018 uh, positional rankings up. There's also uh, a free agency tracker, a free agency winners and losers article I mentioned earlier. So there is some some good content up on the site. We're gearing up uh, for another good season at 4 for 4. Uh, uh, TJ, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, officially kick off 2018 with you. All right. Uh, sounds good. And uh, I'll be back with Anthony, hopefully, uh, after the draft. We'll do three days of draft coverage uh, late April and then try to come back with a 
uh, podcast to talk about the rookies. And uh, then shortly thereafter, over the next two weeks, I'll have the uh, first iteration of the projections for 2018. And then we'll just kind of tweak from there. So uh, for TJ, uh, see you next time on uh, 444's Most Accurate Podcast. Like a movie star